Please rise for their majesties of Royally Obsessed, the podcast for all things royals. Three cheers for His Majesty the King. We're back with another episode of Royally Obsessed. I'm Roberta. I'm Rachel. And if you haven't already, please hit follow on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast. Email us info at gallerypodcast.com. I know we're going to have some wonderful emails coming in because some of you were there for Trooping the Color last weekend. So that's really exciting. Can't wait to hear more details. And I'm curious if anyone's at Ascot, too. I, I feel like we'll have a lot to hear from by next week. Speaking of Ascot, Rachel, I have a surprise for you. What? Roberta! <laughs> wait, can I pause and get mine? Yeah, pause, I know right pause. where it is because I just cleaned out my closet. <laughs> I'm putting on my fascinator in honor of Ascot. I have a fascinator with beige netting it's kind of reminiscent today of camilla's actually the color let's see yours i forget what color yours is didn't we buy these at the same time together my i think mine's from amazon no mine's no i have one just like yours that this one's different wait oh gorgeous darling gorgeous (laughs) i want like a screenshot of us we look so festive you just made my day roberta the rest of me is not a screen i know a sweatshirt and a fascinator it works somehow (laughs) it doesn't i think that this is very festive and appropriate for what we're talking about today Yes. Well, great segue, Roberta, because I'm also having just the most royal FOMO this week. I know we were there for the coronation and that was the event of the year, but I feel like they keep, you know, you get the pictures and everyone over there having the best time. And I just want to be on a plane right now with you, especially. But We're going to be talking about Trooping the Color, Garter Day, the National Portrait Gallery reopening, which I'm particularly excited about. William's 41st birthday, which is today, the day we're recording. Happy 41st. Also, we've got Royal Ascot. That's in full swing. We are joined by the warmest, most fun-loving duo, Alexandra Bertram, who's head of PR for Ascot, and Scott Wimsett, fashion presenter. We are so excited to chat with them, get the inside scoop behind the scenes. It, again, aided in my FOMO. And now it's time for the Weekly Royal Cocktail. And another royal surprise for Rachel is that I feel like very on brand for Ascot was my fascinator and my glass of champagne. Oh, you did champagne. It's like we're there. Oh my gosh. Well, (laughs) you'll, you'll appreciate this. I went and looked up some of the signature serves at Ascot and I mixed up monkey went to Ascot with the monkey 47 gin that we happen to have, by the way. And some, I made it with club soda and I garnished with a cucumber. It looks so cute because you have the little tiny cucumber. (laughs) So it's like a mini. Oh, yeah. It's what is it? A pickling cucumber? It's not like a it's not a (laughs) it's not the right cucumber. But wait, the drink is called what? Monkey goes to Ascot. It's because it's made with monkey 47 gin, which do you remember way back in the pandemic? I still have some left over. We were sent some of that. And it's It's one of my favorite gins. I love that. Delish. Well, cheers. Cheers. I also am um, having FOMO from our lunch catch up last week. I wish we were together in person. We were in person at the office last week and had Shake Shack for lunch. I mean, this is what I love everything about you, Roberta, because I was like, you know, we were trying to make it such a grand occasion. And this is the high-low mix of our lives, right? We were like, we could go to Queen's Yard, which we love, but we were just in the mood for Shake Shack. And we were both like, let's do it. And it was wonderful. I should not be that bad before the 4th of July. Nah, (laughs) it's summer. I eat the worst in the summer. Actually, it's my week to Because French fries are my, like, 
burgers, place. hot dogs. Yes. I know. I know. It's too tempting. But when at Hudson Yards, get, go to Shake Shack. <laughs> we did get a DM from a listener that said um, she saw our photo in front of those portraits in Hudson Yards Mall and her cousin is actually artist Ashley Longshore, which is what? amazing. So those are those gorgeous portraits. One was of Kate and the kids and one was of Megan. And we took, we had a little mini photo shoot. It was kind of really hard <laughs> I feel hard like we're taking on so many detours, but it was hilarious because we asked so many people and I guess we're just kind of picky, Roberta. We were like, yeah, we need to ask another person to take another picture. <laughs> we tried a self-timer, which is Roberta's foolproof hack usually. It didn't work this time because it was way too low to the ground. It's actually her mom and dad's first cousins. This listener's name is Paige. And so I'm so glad Paige pointed that out because it always feels like six degrees of separation. There's always someone in the community who knows some kind of connection. So I love it. All right. Should I move on to listener email? Mary wrote us this week and she's emailing us more details, but she wrote us to say, hello, lovelies. Thank you for your wonderful podcast. I listen religiously. I loved your coverage of the coronation. I wanted to message and let you know that I was accidentally in London for Trooping the Color. I say accidentally because I planned this vacation almost a year ago and didn't realize we'd be there for it. Like I said, she's going to send us an email detailing the experience, which we'll definitely have to read on this pod. She said, I got to see all the royals pass by on the mall. Amazing. My friends back stateside and I are already planning to attend the next coronation. Not That's some advanced planning. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I always feel bad when we talk about that. She said, I hope Charles has a long and happy life. Just hoping mine is a bit longer. Ha ha. Just because being here for the trooping was so much fun. Thank you for all you do. Love the pod. Oh, it's so sweet. I can't wait to hear more about her accidental trooping. Yeah, that's so great. I envy those people that are just like, I happened upon this, you know, massive royal occasion. It's such a great way to live life. Yes. Now, this week in royal history. Well, as I mentioned at the top, happy... 41st birthday to Prince William. He was... Cheers. Cheers. I am going to toast to that. Oh my gosh. Right in line with William. My 41st coming up this year. Can you Mm. believe it, Roberta? Oh my gosh. Another trip to Paris on the book? Yeah. Can I make that? the cucumber. Yeah, the cucumber just (laughs) fell. Did you see that? I tried to play it off. It just (laughs) fell on the floor. Very, very uh, royal, if you will. Um, Yeah. I wish another trip to Paris. Maybe I'll make it an annual thing. Yeah. Okay. Well, where was I? So Prince William arrived at 9.03 p.m. on June 21st, 1982. William Arthur Philip Louis, full name, at St. Mary's Hospital in Paddington. Of course, there were a couple of big royal firsts. He was the first heir to the throne to be born in a maternity ward at a hospital versus a royal palace. Charles was also one of the first, if not the first, royal dad in the delivery room. The credit for both of these decisions goes to the Queen's gynecologist, George Pinker, who believed that the hospital was a safer place given all the tools and equipment at their disposal. And also, as a father of four, believed firmly that dads should be there and present and witness it. Again, you know, changing times, you think back, that was not at all the norm. I always think of Mad Men. Remember that scene? Did you watch Mad Men, Roberta? I never watched (gasps) This is your, like... Oh, but you would love I it. started Suits. You'll be so proud I am of me. so proud. That is that is everything I need to hear. Okay, I'll take us back. But there's a great scene with Don Draper outside the delivery room. All right, well, William was seven pounds, one and a half ounces. According to the UK Times report, he cried lustily, and Charles also had to go out and ask the crowds to make a little less Wait, noise. Wait, I'm sorry. He cried what? Lustily. 
what is that? I just Lustily. that's why I'm sharing it because I love the poetic language of newspapers when especially when you look back, you know, it was like pre SEO, but also just this poetic wording about a delivery of the oh future air. But Charles did request that they make a little less noise because the crowds were a little bit raucous and they had a new baby. It was his first fatherly moment. Diana was in labor for 16 hours, induced, we know, due to, of course, media pressure. She told Andrew Morton that she couldn't handle the press pressure any longer. It was as if everyone was monitoring every day for me. Just impossible, impossible. Also, Diana was 21. We say this often, but it just sets that perspective. You know, of course, we talked about St. Mary's. The Lindo wing set a really big trend for the royals. Not everyone does it, of course. Anne was the first, but Diana delivering William there really kind of cemented it as an ongoing thing. On that note, I wanted to mention that we still at this juncture, 11 a.m. on Wednesday, do not have any (laughs) birthday shared, any new photos from Prince William. But we do have a happy birthday message from King Charles. He shared a pic of him and William that hadn't been seen, snapped by Chris Jackson at a coronation rehearsal. It's a very loving shot, and Charles looks very, very happy. The standard message is shared. Oh, wait, I wanted to say the birthday shot. I wish Charles looked that happy throughout the whole coronation. I know. And that was the rehearsal. I think that the intensity of the day was on his mind. I mean, you have to. It must have been. It had to have been that. Yes, we did get two new photos, though, on Father's Day from Prince William. It was taken by a photographer that for that Prince Louis birthday shoot. We could kind of assess that based on the jumper that Louis had on, not a Kate amateur shot, which I always enjoy seeing those as well. But these photos were great. Snapped at the Windsor Estate. We also had a very robust interview from Prince William about homelessness in the UK Times. This was his first interview exclusive since becoming Prince of Wales. It was all about homelessness. He talked about how he really takes a lot of thought in searching for the right moment to introduce the kids to homelessness. Obviously, that was something that Diana did when William was a very young age, how he brings it up on the school run. I like those details, Roberta. He also hinted at plans to build affordable social housing on his now inherited duchy estate. That's my favorite part. I think that that was like, oh, wow. Okay, here's the action that we all really want to see. That's huge. And we're going to hear the full plan towards the end of the month. We don't know yet. They're going to be unveiling it at the end of June. I thought this detail was interesting from the full interview. The interviewer did ask, you know, about the political undertones of him delving into homelessness as a project and sort of a cause of his. William answered, I'm not here to talk about politics. My plan is an additive to what's already being done. He also discussed how he's really kind of hellbent on refocusing the idea of what monarchy is for, because he knows that the public perception is veering into the idea that we're all kind of busy and it can be very hard to see the point. So I think those two Mm -hmm. comments together are fascinating because Mm -hmm. it's that human element of homelessness versus the political. But it does have a lot of overlap because you need the government response as well to really achieve what needs to happen to solve it. But either, even if it's like, I just don't see how it's politics when it's even like either party cares about this issue, I think. And that's where I just get so confused when people are like, but it's a political issue. It's totally not. It's a human issue. We t- say that all the time on here. But I think you need the government funding to actually yeah, solve but the I, crisis. But do you think one party over the other would want to solve? I guess 
if you're like against government spending in general. But yeah, I think it's it more it that it's me. not being prioritized. Is but so William's yeah. dipping his toe in, uh, but so maybe seems that. like it's going to be a bigger effort there. I think one thing just quickly I wanted to mention about this big Father's Day photo drop and the reveal of the homelessness efforts is that he effectively knocked Charles off the front page for his first Trooping the Color. What did you think of that? It was just a weekend of William, which is really wild to me. We think we've noticed that, that the Waleses are just really not holding back when it comes to press and coverage. It's kind of shocking. I wonder what Charles thinks. I wonder if there's a lot of tension there, especially between Kate and Camilla as well. Kate keeps wearing Diana's jewelry. I think that was something someone pointed out. Like, is that a sore subject for them? I don't know. I, I think it's a good question. You know, I think that also, you know, William is at the beginning of what is going to be a very pivotal impactful decade for him. And it's this runway to the monarchy. So I think, you know, just contemplating the fact that it's his birthday and we're seeing so much of them and he's dominating the front pages, especially Kate, you know, she always lands the front page picture. It's just, you know, I'm, I'm excited about what's ahead. I guess I'll just say that. Poor Charles, though, even as King Poor doesn't Charles. get the spotlight, it's kind of a, a huge bummer. All right. Maybe it's all coordinated. Maybe it's all choreographed. Who yeah. knows? Okay, Big Royal Week is well underway. We had Trooping the Colors Saturday, as you mentioned, Garter Day on Monday, and Royal Ascot is well underway as well. Trooping the Color, I just wanted to point out a few things before we have a little discussion. I mean, I can't get over Prince Louis. That's just the whole, <laughs> that's the whole headline. That's the subject. That's the entire story. Prince Louis, his mini salute, his little Top Gun moment where he was driving the plane, it looked like, or pretending to as the flyover happened. It was so cute. He is just too much. I mean, I just absolutely love how animated he is, and it brings so much life to that balcony moment. I will, you know, counter too. Charlotte had a lot of sweet interactions with William. Did you mm-hmm. see some of those pictures where yeah. he had his arms around her and was holding her? She was holding his hands or fingers. It was yeah. very, very sweet to see. What did you think about the Sophie kind of discussions, though, about what she said to Charlotte in the window? Because I think a lot of people are saying that she was scolding her what? and saying, sit down. And then another lip reader in the mirror said that Charlotte asked when the parade would start. And then Instead of saying, sit down, Sophie said, I think it's now. I've watched this video so many (laughs) times, Rachel, trying to become a lip reader. And I think, honestly, I think she might have said, it's quite loud. That's what it looks like to me. Roberta, this is your second calling. I Or third, fourth, fifth, you have so many callings. But I love it. I feel so not confident about lip readers. Why would Sophie scold her niece? I guess it's her great niece. What are they? Kate is technically her niece. Yeah. Isn't that weird to think about? Because they, oh, a headline the other day was like her sister-in-law, but they're not, <laughs> not sisters-in-law. No, that's for sure. No. Fact check that one. Yeah, that's so interesting. I did not see that moment. It, it, I just don't think Sophie's a bad person. I just can't. I just don't think that at all. I don't think she would ever scold Charlotte. So there's that. I'll take the bullet for Sophie on that one. Very relatable moment, though, behind the scenes. I don't know if you saw this of Nanny Maria taking pictures of the kids inside. I I thought that was really sweet. That was in people. Always document. Always document. (laughs) I just feel like they try to separate themselves from like the Getty Images pictures. Like that's such a different part of their lives. It's so public and this is private. Yes. All right. Garter Day. The only note I have there is that Andrew wasn't there or at least he wasn't 
wasn't in the procession, although it was said that he was inside for the ceremony and at Windsor Castle for the luncheon. Ugh, he's still allowed to wear his robes in private, probably. He was allowed to wear them at the coronation. He wasn't allowed to be in the public procession. Obviously, I think from last year, we know that that was the precedent that was set, and they're continuing on with that. All right, clothing discussion, because this is the big hullabaloo. Everyone is talking about Kate's outfits because we've seen so many and they're all so fancy and dressed up and I wanted to go through them so at Trooping we know she wore Andrew Jin who's a Singapore born designer I love that shout out for Earthshot 2023 which will be in Singapore Garter Day we had Alessandra Rich which is polka dot dress another one separate from the others she's worn in the past and another pair of cap toe shoes different from her Alessandra Rich pair that we already know she owns national portrait gallery opening i know that you're going to talk about this rachel because you loved it but the self-portrait dress it dawned on me self-portrait national portrait so like, brilliant oh my god so I'm brilliant hitting myself yes. in the head, not realizing that earlier uh of course kate's self-portraits are well is it a self-portrait it's it's her portraits from her birthday yeah it's not a self-portrait but it's yeah. a nice little <laughs> play on words. It would be amazing if she painted a self-portrait. Uh, a Chanel clutch, which I want to talk about as well. And then some beautiful Aquazera heels, which uh, are, I think, a Megan staple from her oh, royal absolutely. fashion days. What, I mean, people are upset because Kate's actually kind of repeating things that she owns, but they're brand new items. I want to hear your thoughts, Rachel. Yeah, I think that was a little bit of a head scratcher for me as well, just because you do kind of do a double take where it feels so much familiarity, yet it's a new look. Thinking about the fact that they do have a lot more income now with the Duchy of Cornwall estate that they inherited, but also it just goes, it just runs counter to all their mm -hmm. talk about sustainability. So I'm trying to understand what the line of thinking is there. And I'm not sure yeah. I have an answer on that quite yet. I'm not sure either. I will say, though, that people who are mentioning that it's too much Diana cosplay or like imitating Diana too heavily. I almost think that that's just the fashion trends right now are very 80s. I see where, you know, she knows probably that there will be a side by side shot on every paper or whatever on Instagram of her and Diana yeah. dressing alike. But I do think that's also the style. I mean, Alessandra Rich is just designing clothes that she likes and that are fun. And the polka dots are a theme for her as well. So yeah. I don't know about that. I but, did want to uh, talk about her trooping yeah. look a little bit, too, because I think it was fascinating that everyone was in red, even Camilla, in the military uniform, which was such a surprise, or the homage to a military uniform that yeah. was designed. And then Kate just was like a beacon on that balcony in green, you know, and just mm -hmm. looked like a million bucks. I also think, you know, that was a choice, of course. I yeah. just felt like I was also distracted trying to figure out why she looked so striking at Trooping. Mm -hmm. And I'm mm -hmm. kind of thinking she's got a new look with her brows. I was going to say her eyeliner, but I like that we're kind of in the same vein of makeup. Yes. And I'm happy if we can pause for one royal minute to share in the chat two images side by side of Kate. You just see the difference between what her brows look like now and then years past. Her eye makeup almost looks similar to me where it's a heavy liner. But whatever it was, whether it was the way the green cast a shadow on her face, she just looked so striking to me. I'm trying to see if it's the brows. I mean, the brows definitely look bigger, but I honestly feel like her makeup's a lot darker. Her eye makeup especially is a lot darker in this. Yeah, maybe it's bottom liner more. But there's something, right? It's there's just, it, it just, I just felt like she just looked so, so 
put together and just fantastic at this. So I think, too, the message is now the Princess of Wales is here and she is not shying away from being the center of attention, which I love. This I know. is a new story. For also, Kate. Queen Elizabeth's last balcony shot, she was in that emerald green hue on the balcony. You know, was mm-hmm. that an homage? I just have so many questions there. Yeah. All right, let's move on. Okay. Spotify and Archibald, we just wanted to touch on this briefly before we get into our fabulous interview about Ascot. It's been three years. This has made a lot of headlines this week. The Sussexes obviously signed a $20 million deal. That's over. They released a joint statement that they are proud of the series they made together, but they are moving and parting ways. In that time, we know that the Sussexes have released one series called Archetypes over those three years. I'm emphasizing three years a lot. And a 30-minute holiday special, which we know Archie popped up in and said a beautiful couple of words. On the flip side, we heard from Bill Simmons, who's head of Spotify's podcast innovation, sort of talking off the record unprofessionally slightly on his podcast about the fact that the Sussexes are, he referred to them as grifters, and he can't wait till the moment where he's allowed to get drunk and share the story of coming up with a podcast idea. There were other allegations that surfaced that some of the interviews that Megan conducted were faked. A lot of that was done in post, although there were also counters to that saying it wasn't the main ones, which we can also understand in the spirit of podcast making that a lot producers can handle a lot. Yeah. I think the conversation I just wanted to have with you is just there is the argument the podcast market is going through a ton of changes, which we are familiar with. Spotify went through layoffs, all of that stuff. But do you think that there's more to the story here? I totally think there's more to the story. And I, I, I was so shocked at the unprofessionalism of Bill Simmons. Yes. He said effing grifters was the quote. Yeah, like, I, I edited that part awful, out. I didn't mean to. Awful. Yeah. And just like the way that he talks about them, it's just, it does remind me of Piers Morgan. I don't understand. This man is very controversial to begin with. So yeah. it's not just the Sussexes for sure. It does feel like WME and that representation comes at a time when Megan knew that some of these things were shifting. So I do hope that there are plans laid out. I mean, the rumor is that she'll be the face of Dior. I That yeah. would be incredible. Also, I just feel like there's this weird dichotomy in the royal family about Dior and Chanel because Dior was, of course, Diana's brand and she carried the Lady Dior bag after her divorce and all of that. And then we have Chanel, which is the double C's, which... Charles and Camilla, the affair, that was something that Diana never really wore. And I thought it was interesting to see Kate carrying Chanel clutch the other day after this rumor mill was in overdrive about Megan being the face of Dior. I just think that's fascinating. And who knows if she will be, but it would be a different road to go down. But I do think back to the Spotify as well, like with the just look at what. No, 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 no. (laughs) I just wanted to say it is fascinating because the. They didn't produce a ton in the three years. And that was a lot of the no. discussion that I read. And it, I think what we are in for is seeing now what's ahead. The The memoirs behind us. The docuseries is out. There's a lot of change going. You mentioned WME coming on into the picture. Mm-hmm. How are the Sussexes going to sculpt their brand going forward? I do think there will be more podcasts and they want to reach a bigger market than just yeah. Spotify, although Spotify is huge. They want to have their podcasts available everywhere, I would imagine. It's just been a lot of not so kind headlines this week yeah. about all of this. Variety, I copied this down. Variety spoke to a source familiar with the situation who claimed that Harry and Meghan have wanted to move away from Spotify distribution exclusively to find a new home home for their audio projects. In turn, Spotify sources claim to Variety that Spotify ending their deal with the Sussexes is unrelated to the podcast restructuring. 
So there was obviously tension there. And mm. I think we knew that from the start when there was the dust being kicked up about Joe Rogan and Megan. I think that she and Harry were really uncomfortable with Spotify supporting someone who was really distributing COVID misinformation at such a crucial time during the pandemic. Yeah. And it seems like Spotify has really stuck to their guns with Joe Rogan. Of course, that's like their most listened show. Yeah, he's still on the roster. Yeah, for sure. But it just feels so odd to me to think, you know, Archetypes won so many awards. I think that that's where I'm just, it's such a head scratcher. The docuseries for Netflix was the most watched subscription TV show in the UK for 2022 and the second most watched documentary on Netflix ever. I had to fact check and look that up. But I think that's where the rumor mill is kicking into overdrive again with Netflix. Are they going to cancel their relationship with the Sussexes? There really isn't much there either, though, that they have come up with. And I don't know, when you pay someone... 80 million, yeah. 20 million dollars, you do expect a lot more than just that, yeah, I would say. Same think. for but, your supper kind of a thing. Yeah. yeah. But the Obamas have also moved away from Spotify. They're now at Amazon, I believe. And so I think that that's, it kind of is a big shift right now. Times just they the are changing. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into our interview with the wonderful Alexandra and Scott. Ahead of that, Roberta, we just needed to mention because we recorded with Alexandra and Scott on Monday. We've since seen plenty of royal arrivals. Camilla in Dior. You just talked about Dior wearing the Queen's Diamond brooch. I thought she looked lovely. What a shock to wear Dior for her, too. I, I know. A, what a surprise. <laughs> a choice. But I actually think so far Beatrice has been my favorite. I just loved her Sonia Bud dress from Beulah London. Have you had any favorites so far? I think today uh, Sophie and Susanna London has really taken the cake for me. The white is gorgeous. Yeah, I, oh, want I that loved dress. that yeah. one. I didn't know it was Susanna London. It makes sense. That's her favorite. I wish if I had one regret from this interview ahead, it's that I asked Alexandra and Scott how you manage heels on the lawn. Because I just keep seeing pictures of people in kind of spike heels, and I just wish I understood I how I they were just balancing the appropriately. Anyway, And their pronunciation of Ascot, because it's Ascot. And I keep saying Ascot, but really it's Ascot, Royal Ascot. But is that their accent? Because remember, it was like the Mall Mal thing. Like, I feel like it seems disingenuous to say. I can't decide. Oh, I think that that's just how you say it. Royal Ascot. All right. Well, if anyone knows, please let us know because we I'm sticking with Ascot and I don't know if that's right. I'm probably sounding <laughs> it like an idiot. It sounds very American. It does. It like but that. is that the mall mouth thing? I don't know. We'll find out. I would. Yeah. School I would go with us the on it, guys. Way, but... Let us know. Here is our chat with Alexandra and Scott. Ro-Rose, please come along as Roberta and I flash back to mid-May when fresh off the coronation, we had the privilege of meeting the two guests you're about to hear from, Alexandra Bertram and Scott Wimsett. Alexandra is the senior content and PR marketing manager for Royal Ascot, and Scott is the fashion presenter for Royal Ascot. Okay, back to May. They were in New York City for an Ascot preview party where they not only showed off the new Royal Ascot lookbook, they wore the fanciest hats and spoke all about the racing history and infamous Ascot dress code. It was so much fun and much to our delight, they both agreed to join us on the podcast this week to talk about everything we get to look forward to at this year's events, which kick off tomorrow. We're recording this on Monday. Welcome, Alexandra and Scott. It's so nice to see you again. Hello. Hi, guys. Lovely to see you here on Royally Obsessed. Thank you for asking Alexandra and I to come and join you. Oh, thank you for joining us. We're so honored that you're here. Our first question, we'd love for you to share more about the history of Ascot. When did it begin and how did it evolve to feel like summer's signature event in the UK? 
Well, um, I think our history dates back to 1711. I mean, it was actually Queen Anne, reigning monarch of the time, who took a horse ride out from Windsor Castle, which is just down the road from us, um, and found this area of land that was perfect to gallop horses at full stretch. And so she did. And that was the first racing that happened at the race course. And, and really, it became known as a race course from then on. It was a little while later in 1768 when the first four-day meeting happened, which ultimately became what's known as Royal Ascot today, which is now five days um, long. I'm not sure we could do many more days on the bounce <laughs> It'll be on our knees, but yeah. And so it, it starts on a Tuesday every week, it ends on a Saturday, and smack bang in the middle we have Gold Cup Day, which is the Thursday. So Sometimes called Ladies' Day, but we refer yeah. to it as Gold Cup Day. Some people often refer to it as Ladies' Day, not something that we've ever done, but to us it's Gold Cup Day. And the Gold Cup first ran in 1807, so it's our, our longest standing race still running um, today. So we're very fortunate that in that time since Queen Anne, we've had the patronage of uh, 13 reigning monarchs. And it's very exciting in 2023 to be in that 13th year, or monarch. I think when we gathered in New York City, just hearing you guys speak about the history, it really made us feel that gravity of how long this has been going on. And we know Queen Elizabeth II famously loved Ascot and all things horses. And you've got a new royal boss in charge this year. What will that be like for you guys? So we're really looking forward to the first Royal Ascot under the reign of His Majesty King Charles. We're expecting a strong attendance from the royal family. Um, exactly who, we don't know. But we'll find out every day at two o'clock uh, our time when the royal procession arrives and, and does that 10 to 12 minute journey um, up the straight mile in the Lando carriages. Which is so exciting, isn't it? Everybody yeah. really, really, obviously, you know, a big highlight of the day is the, is the royal party arriving. So it's sort of like this anticipating what everyone's going to be wearing and arriving and, yeah, it's a very exciting part of it. It is incredible when you've got kind of 60 or 70,000 people and all eyes are kind of tracked on the track. Are there screens everywhere? Like how does how do 60 to 70,000 people tune in for the arrivals? Yeah. There's lots of screens around the whole space so everyone can sort of have access and, you know, and see everyone's sort of outfits as they arrive. Yeah, we've got giant screens that will sit on each side of the track. Um, and then with the track itself, as I said, it's called the straight mile and it's because it's a mile. So you'll have pe people pretty much lined both sides of that that part of the track to watch it in person. I mean, as, as you know, we, we spoke to you about it, it's just such a loved annual sporting event in the British social calendar. Now, obviously, it's about the racing, but from my perspective, it's also about the fashion. You know, that's why it's so well attended, and it really has a very nostalgic and meaningful place within the sort of British DNA. So, yeah, each year you just, you can feel it is palpable. We're already feeling it today, and it's the day before Ascot, sort of the gates officially open, but it's already the buzz and excitement is here. And with like more than 500 horses will run across the week. And there's no doubt that some of those are going to be wearing, or the, the horses won't be wearing, but the jockeys will be wearing um, <laughs> the, our new Majesty's silks. So I, I always certainly have a flutter on on any royal runners. Do you? Uh, yeah. Oh, good for you. You've got to. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, we're very much looking forward to cheering those on. And, yeah, their continued patronage of British racing. Well, and that's something to look out for this year specifically is the new uh, King Charles III silks, like you mentioned. What else should we look out for this year? I mean, this year's event, I think there's a new sustainability initiative. What else should we be keeping an eye out for? Lots of newness. Um, so as you say, sustainability is a big focus for us. 
Um, the centre of the track itself is called the Village Enclosure, which was the newest enclosure we'd introduced to the lineup in over 100 years. So that launched in 2017. And it's really Ascot's take on quite a cool music-led um, festival vibe, but being a, a, a daytime occasion. So racegoers can expect kind of three hours of live music and DJs after racing every evening. We trialled our first net zero restaurant last year called Neutro. Um, and this was a huge learning curve for us to, to be able to actually do something and, and then track it to, to know that it was net zero. Mm-hmm. Our whole menu was plant-based. We were recruiting staff from as close to the race course as we could. The whole structure was kind of made out of recycled timber and upcycled furniture. So we took a step back after Royal Ascot last year and went, okay, we managed to do it at the restaurant. How do we roll this out to the whole enclosure? So that's really exciting that this year we've got green power generators over there. We've got compostable food packaging and cutlery made from sugar canes. We've got our whole recup um, system, which runs the whole site wide, which is a reusable cups, essentially. Um, But every year that removes half a million single use plastic cups from what would have otherwise been used at the race course. So, yeah, there's there's lots of things. We've also got a solar flower. So it's a solar panelled flower. It's quite a cool looking thing that has been gathering um, that sunshine. Thankfully, we've had quite a bit of late that has yeah been taking all of that that sun and storing it for us um, and pushing it back to the grid. So much to look forward to. It's quite exciting just ahead of this call, getting to see all the hustle and bustle. Like we said, we're talking to you Monday, kicks off tomorrow. It seems like the, you know, the final countdown. Honestly, I've walked around the site already today and it it blows my mind that we've got less than 24 hours and there's still people (laughs) painting stuff. There are still plants. It's like we're having a really big party and we're just running slightly behind. But I know that when those gates open at 10.30 tomorrow morning, it's going to be like, it's that swan, isn't it? The the feet are going really fast. But talking about this sort of sustainability in the fashion, this one here always looks so resplendent every single day of Royal Ascot obviously in the capacity of sort of heading up PR and content and all of the meeting and greeting what Alexandra steps out in each day is really important as well so the bar really high well no you always look amazing each morning I'm like wow you really improved on yesterday how did that that happen well that's a perfect segue because we want to talk about the dress code and I and I imagine you know you talk about event planning and then you also have to get all done up for each day that's another added pressure so tell us about the dress code tell us about what you're wearing let's hear about some of the bigger rules too as a fashion correspondent, obviously, we've had the theme of sustainability for a good while now. And, I, you know, like all global brands, we move with the time. We've listened to what's happening. But also this sort of, you know, wanting to make sure that, you know, elegance and good style is interpreted by, you know, approaching sustainability in a really enthusiastic sort of ethical way. So we are really encouraging those stories to come through where we're seeing people who might repurpose sort of granny's old Chanel or, you know, they're kind of looking at vintage or antique pieces and how to sort of really express themselves creatively through interpreting their their look in in that way. Another part that we're seeing an awful lot of, which is really exciting, is obviously the rental market. So, you know, if you're looking for that Erdem dress or that Roxander piece, you know, they're obviously, you know, significant investments. But if you actually rent it for that one day and you turn up and nail it and get all of those images and you create that magic in that one piece and then you send it back on its way and have somebody else enjoy it, you know, that 
that's just really, really progressive. And we're seeing an awful lot of that. Um, in regards to sort of dress codes, I mean, obviously, like you say, we have our four enclosures and it falls into, you know, different sort of stipulations per dress code. And I think we mentioned to you earlier, people really enjoy it because it gives them a chance to really concentrate on that look for whichever sort of enclosure they're in. But, you know, there's everything from sort of like, you know, the, the royal enclosure having the skirt sort of just slightly above the knee or below the inch wide straps on and then the shoulders obviously any kind of headpiece has to have a base which is four inches but really I think overriding message for all of our um, you know people who come and enjoy Asker and adhere to dress codes is that there is something for everybody in every enclosure and it re- we really are doors open to everybody however you identify and however you interpret the dress code in the way that it actually you know for men women they them you know gender fluidity however it works it's a new age and it's really reflected here by the people who are attending Ascot. and we've got some great stories coming this year so watch this space oh we will one last question what about the hat rules are there rules pertaining to that so i think Really, for gents, top hats, iconic look. And that's only really in the royal enclosure. Um, it's interesting, actually, in, in the other enclosures where it's not an essential part of the dress, how many men are choosing to kind of be part of that tradition mm-hmm. and really embrace it and, and are starting to do that in some of the public enclosures. For ladies, millinery, as, as Scott said, in the royal enclosure, a minimum hat base of four inches or 10 centimetres is a requirement. Other than that, it's kind of like you see everything from a, a Jackie O style pillbox right through to kind of big creations, veils sparkles, every colour under the sun, and certainly the headband kind of style. So almost like a a halo crown um, has become really, really popular. And it's interesting to see trends actually emerging in the hat world. It's not just fashion as a more broad kind of... Yeah, tough. I think, I mean, we have something called the Millinery Collective, which each year has your kind of, you know, millinery giants, be it Stephen Jones or Philip Tracy or now Victoria Grant. But it also has emerging talent as well. And this year we have uh, an L.A.-based milliner called Sarah Sokol, who's going to be in attendance this year for Royal Ascot. And she, you know... Qualified to I mean, join this totally. millinery collection. She's made hats for Beyonce. Like, yeah. she's mega. So it's incredible that for the first time we can have an American designer because actually you, when you look at global millinery, whether it's Australia, whether it's US, British, they all have their little nuances. And mm-hmm. I find that super exciting as a sport that mm-hmm. is run internationally and so many of our races feed into other international races. Yeah, seeing kind of millinery kind of doing that circuit as well is really exciting. I mean, obviously, I interview quite a lot of the milliners. And depending on who you speak to, you know, a lot of them say it starts with the hat and then you mm-hmm. build the look from there. And obviously a milliner is going to say that. But one thing I shared with you before we started recording was just the attention to detail that actually so much thought and there is no room for error. You know, the, the consideration on the looks is second to none more than any other sort of, you know, catwalk, runway, whatever you want to call it. Like the the people turning up are ready to do an editorial shoot. They look absolutely resplendent. So, yeah, quite often I, I speak to people like, I don't know, Stephen Jones, and he'd say, you know, let the hat 
sort of don't let the hat wear you. So actually live with it for a while leading up to Ascot. So if you're even going, going to do the grocery shopping, wear the hat. <laughs> Same with the shoes. So you're not stepping out on that day for the first time in that look. You know, just make it a bit more, feel at home with it. Well, we were lucky enough to to see some of those hats at this New York City event and they were so beautiful. The one I remember, um, I think it was you, Alexander, wearing with the pink flowers coming off. It was stunning. That one's coming back out tomorrow. Oh, <laughs> yeah I just think people walk differently when they're dressed for an occasion mm-hmm. and it's really I love to see it whether it's from my colleagues whether it's from guests that we welcome year on year I find it really interesting to watch people's confidence grow yes. when whether it's someone wearing a tailored uh, like the most beautifully tailored suit and suddenly they kind of have that chest chest out shoulders back walk tall confidence and equally women wearing their like favorite hats you feel different you feel quite regal and i i love that part i i love people kind of watching yeah. I mean, there is no people watching quite like no it. there is nothing else on the globe quite like royal ascot but it's the same with the gentlemen for their toppers you know like a lot of the toppers we don't we don't make top hats anymore that sort of is a lost trade so the pieces that you know i'm often lucky enough to wear you know have amazing stories behind them and they're often like 180 years old they're antiques and so it's a real privilege to wear these hats and um yeah this year we have oliver brown who's our official licensee for toppers who will be on site here doing this sort of a magical ingredient sort of silk topper hat cleaning for you so you kind of have your very very shiny top hat ready for the royal enclosure so yeah it's all the sort of very meaningful parts of that kind of iconic dress sense that come out to play every june so historic, too. Well, we know you mentioned there are four different enclosures. What else can you tell us about the protocol within the royal enclosure? We're most curious about that one. I think following on from top hats, there's some little kind of tips and hints that people just don't often know. So particularly with top hats, I quite often see men naturally wanting to kind of push them back on their head a little bit. And actually, you're meant to wear them parallel to the ground. So that peak sits in line with, with the ground. I think hats stay on for ladies. They're quite often pinned into your hair, so take some work to remove. But yeah, there aren't really, I suppose, protocols, so to speak. It is a formal kind of daytime occasion. And that, I think, I talk back about people feeling great when they're dressed for Mm -hmm. that occasion. And naturally, people then kind of carry themselves in a slightly different way. So when you've got the traditions of afternoon tea, which is huge for us, and to give you some context, mm. there'll be eighty to 90,000 cups of tea drank in five days and over a quarter of a million afternoon tea cakes. And I'm not sure if you can imagine what 1,200 kilos of clotted cream looks like. <laughs> but those yes, are please. all the things that we've got coming in at the moment. So I suppose they're less protocol, but more tradition, and people will enjoy that afternoon tea tradition. Afternoon tea and also this sort of very evident thing that I see for the Royal Enclosure, all enclosures, but very much in the Royal Enclosure, are families, Mm. where it's all generations coming along together. So granny all the way down to the grandchildren and just that sort of beautiful DNA that you get with a family spending time together each year, year on year, making memories. So that's a really special thing to witness. One other nitty gritty detail. Is there someone enforcing these rules? Like when you're showing up and, you know, showing your ticket, I'd, I'd assume, is someone measuring you to make sure you've met all these protocols or you know at a glance? 
We have a team of people called Dress Code Assistants and they are there to assist. So we have a collection of hats that people are able to borrow should they turn up with the wrong thing. Or we have ties and socks that are available. So if a gent forgets his tie or, I mean, I mentioned socks there. Socks were added to the gentleman's dress code back in 2018, I believe. We were starting to see this trend of men kind of foregoing their socks. (laughs) In terms of occasion wear, it's just not the done thing. So we decided to make it a rule. Now, they don't have to be black or or of any specific colour. And actually, I think they're one of the few places men can really have a bit of fun. this is it. I mean, you know, obviously, you know, the the morning suit is either black, grey or now navy blue as well, which has been a new addition in the last few years, which is really great because it's a lovely colour in the sun, especially. But, you know, for us to have the accents of, you know, the ties, the waistcoats, often the socks, you know, those are little moments where you can have that pop of colour. I always, every day of the week, wear a different coloured silk sock that I tend to sort of, you know, reveal each day just to say I'm wearing my green or my lilac or my lemon or my, you know, it's just fun. You're seeing now a lot of gentlemen really, really explore colour. And the, the dress code is communicated through a lookbook that's sent out. Is that right? How And so does that come with your invitation in the mail? Like, how do you guys communicate that to everyone? So that information is across our website. It's across our social media. We quite often use it in all of our email communications with our customers, certainly when providing guidance. I think one of the things that really changed for this year was we'd always kind of done this guide of what to wear by enclosure. And actually what we realised was those trends every summer and every occasion wear season transcend across the enclosures. I think Scott's touched on it. We've got We've got people from every postcode in the UK, which would be a zip code for you guys. We've got people coming in from all over the planet. So it's really quite fun to be able to provide that guidance based on key themes Mm -hmm. such as rental, Mm -hmm. vintage and tailoring. I think you kind of touched on it. More and more women are wearing tailoring and it looks incredible whether it's two-piece or three-piece, even jumpsuits, some of the kind of really sharp kind of jumpsuits that are out there. And then um, Victoria Grant, who you mentioned, is a milliner that I'm really fond of. Um, I think she's very creative and she really has kind of pioneered the ladies' top hat style. So it's kind of... I suppose, more brightly coloured. It's got feathers. It's got kind of... It almost has a slight hourglass shape to it. So almost like replicating a a, a female shape. So I think one of my favourite kind of female looks that have become more and more kind of timeless as well. It's not necessarily just a trend, but seeing a woman kind of embrace tailoring and then put a top hat on and look... Daisy Natchball from Savile Row does that, doesn't she? These unbelievably tailored pieces for women. It's just, you know... Give give the gentleman a thing or two to think about. (laughs) Now, do you two, as we wrap up, have any favorite royal looks from Ascot over the years? Yeah, Yeah. definitely. (laughs) Many, many, many. I mean, you know, look, it's, uh, you know, it is a royal event. And, you know, we, we have... Uh, you know, we take our lead from from the palace in many ways. And my some of mine, I think, you know, I look back through the history of Ascot and, you know, I really do look at sort of Princess Margaret 
in the sort of 50s, sort of our post-war, you know, those Christian Dior silhouettes with this sort of cinched in waist and the fuller skirt, like really kind of a new age at that time for sort of opulence and positivity and this feminine sort of elegant shape. So those really stand out to me. And then more recently, you know, I'm a big fan of uh, Diana, Princess of Wales. And so I look at the 80s and that real strong use of colour and the sort of wider shoulders, you know, amazing. Yeah, and I think more more recently than that, uh, Catherine, the Princess of Wales, she's always so elegant and stylish and certainly is leading that trend of being able to re-wear pieces to, to big events and, and kind of re-accessorise them and give them a slightly new edge. Um, and also mix those high-end pieces with those high street yes. pieces. I think that being able to blend those two kind of ends of, of fashion and make them look so kind of elegant and, and effortless is, is incredible. I love what you see a lot of people do take a bit of a steer from My Fair Lady as well. So there's a sort of that, that monochrome sort of black and white thing or a bit of polka dot which comes through. It feels so nostalgic to Royal Ascot. And King Charles III, you know, he's brilliant in the way of his approach to sustainability. You know, he's dressed by Anderson and Shepherd, and, you know, every Ascot he will turn up in his light grey morning suit which he wears every year and it's just, I love that message that it sends out to a global audience about sort of repurposing and loving the pieces that are made so well that we can just keep on wearing year on year. I also must kind of mention Sophie Wessex, so the Duchess of Edinburgh. She, I think, was one of the first members of the royal family to wear a jumpsuit. So the jumpsuit was added to the the Royal Enclosure Dress Code back in 2017. And it's kind of become a staple of wardrobe since then. Yeah. And I think most years um, she she has worn one and she always looks so kind of on, on point. On point. Really stylish. We can't wait to see what they wear this year. We're so excited. Well, on that note, and you hinted at this earlier, what are you guys wearing this year? Oh, (laughs) yes. Uh, Well, I can start quickly. I do quite a lot with the row, so Savile Row. Uh, So I mentioned Anderson and Shepherd. So I try to do, you know, something of each of uh, different sort of houses over over the five days. So I'll wear Anderson and Shepherd. I I mentioned Oliver Brown. So um, they slightly more contemporary, lots and lots of colour in the waistcoats and the sort of, you know, socks and all of the shirts and ties and all of that stuff. So Oliver Brown is another one I wear. Favourbrook, I definitely wear. Uh, And this year, for the first time, I'm wearing a full vintage look which was from a place called Hornets in Kensington Church Street that specialise in very, very old 1920s sort of, uh, you know, pieces. One. So, yeah, it's, it's beautiful. It's very hot, but it's, um, <laughs> it's, it's really a beautiful, beautiful sort of piece. So I'm excited to give that an outing. What about you, Alexandra? So I'm, I'm rocking a trouser suit tomorrow with a hat um, by a, a milliner called Awan Golding, which has got these incredible birds um, on them. So it's got great movement. It's a really kind of modern take on millinery for me. And then throughout the week, I've got some amazing pieces from Victoria Grant, which are colour and drama and gold and just, just wow factor, yeah. in my opinion. Who else have I got? I'm wearing a Stephen Jones um, with the most incredible fluorescent Roxander dress. As I say, every year, it's um, this one, it's this one. I'm re-wearing a trouser suit from last year. So it's a white kind of cape tailored trouser suit. Being white, it's great for an occasion and for summer, but um, it, it also gives you loads of freedom because it's so neutral that um, you can switch your hat up. So I've got a really fun yeah. kind of, uh, it's got a full veil um, and petals and reds and wow. yeah. Wow. And for our audience, how do they follow along with the Ascot and the looks on Instagram from both of you? Yeah, we're both on Instagram. We'll both be posting every day. Um, 
probably in the evening when we've got five minutes um, and potentially a glass of wine in our hand. Then we've got askit.com. There'll be lots and lots of things going up on there. Our Askit social channels as well. We've got a whole team of people who are just out and about every day capturing all the most stylish race goers, all the racing action, the reactions from the crowd, like all of those moments. And we and we have our rap show, which is obviously a YouTube asset that you should absolutely be looking at because that will encapsulate everything that happens each day. It's almost as if you're there with us. Yeah. Um, so it will highlight all of the fashion, all of the racing and uh, give you that real firsthand experience of literally being here with us. It's kind of the best bits of every day, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and we're actually going to do a really fun thing this year where um, we're going to be taking comments from our, our kind of followers and then kind of t- listening to what they think is, has been the highlights of the day. Yeah, so. fully engaging and, uh, yeah, two-way conversation. Oh, well, thank you both for taking so much time with us. We are so excited. This made us even more enthusiastic yeah. for the You're going to have to come over. We need you guys to come here. You're going to have to live podcast. Yeah. Please. Yeah, we'll start yes. planning. <laughs> 2024. Well, we'll start planning that one about now. So (laughs) perfect. Perfect. All right. Enjoy. We'll see you guys on Instagram and everywhere. Lovely. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you. My gosh, they were so excited to kick off the next day. I wish we were there. That conversation made me wish we were there so much more. Their enthusiasm is so contagious. It really is. It's time for the Royal Highs and Lows. All right, before we join the Royal Pod, my low this week is just that coverage of the Spotify and Netflix stuff. I really do feel like a lot of it is pinned on Megan. There was a quote from the Sun article that it says, Netflix bosses are unlikely to renew Harry and Megan's 81 million pound deal as the lemon has been fully squeezed. Bosses are said to now feel Megan lives in her own bubble. Only Megan, only Megan. I just don't know why. It just feels so misogynistic to me. And Ew. I hate that. She looked so sad the next day in those pap- paparazzi photos of her it just was such a somber i don't know i just feel sad about it they're also like i always feel like those photos are snapped weird like moments just yeah. this one moment she and you're like confused, about to, i mean i'd be like yeah. picking my nose or something <laughs> <laughs> milo is honestly did you see these side-by-side photos of charles's slim down oh, no i didn't from trooping do you have it oh on? gosh i should have saved this for you i actually one second let me pull it up i have it in my camera roll i'm glad that you saved it Wow. Of the balcony shots from different years. Oh, so it's 2019 compared to 2023. And it's just so sparse. I think that I know this is the plan, but we also know Princess Anne gave that interview where she said she's not sure it's a good idea. And I think I can't decide like it. It does mitigate a lot of the pressure on the scandals. You get Andrew off the balcony, no questions asked. And conversations about finances and how much they cost, but it just looks weaker to me. And I want to see B and Eugenie and Lady Louise and James, all of those were X'd this year. So my high this week is I have to mention Fergie because this podcast is bringing me so much joy and it's so fun to hear the behind the scenes this week. She talked about being a grandmother and how hard it is to buy things for your grandchildren because they both want the same thing. So Sienna and August are fighting over the bubble lawnmower. And so she had to buy two. I think it's just Aww. those insights are amazing. And she has just the joy that she conveys whenever she is talking about them. It's it's so palpable. I love it. So that's my high. Yes. Granny is her best job title, it seems. 
My high is Kate at the National Portrait Gallery. It is about Kate, but I just, I was really so bummed when we were there for the coronation that this museum was closed. And knowing that it's now reopened, following a three-year refurbishment, Kate also looks spectacular in this self-portrait. I know we have some internal conflict about the number of versions, but I just love, love, love the look. And she got to hang with Paul McCartney and... Yeah, like I said, I'm just having so much royal FOMO this week. I want to be there for all of these I things. Mean, she, to be fair, like just I want to say she looks fabulous and everything, but I wish if it was a new thing that it was really new and wasn't just a formula for something she already owns. That's it. That's all. <laughs> Those are my notes. Roberta's just notes. a reminder. I love it. <laughs> Kate, if you're listening, no. Just a reminder before we close, please, please leave us a royal review. We've gotten so many good ones. This one's from Cass Casey 0405. She says, this is my weekly cup of tea. I'm a Texan who lived in Scotland and loves all things royal, including the podcast. Thank you for the weekly updates and laughs. Look forward to listening every Thursday. Thank you, Cass. It was so kind. So also, kind. Scotland, we need to talk about that. All right. Remember to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast. Until next week, God God save save the the pod. Her Majesties of Royally Obsessed have retired for this episode. God save the pod. And if you fancy the podcast, give Royally Obsessed the royal rating of five stars on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast and join our Facebook group, Royally Obsessed. Royally Obsessed is a gallery podcast production.